Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. There's a delay in the travel time. And, it, and it's possible, very possible, it is definitely probable, it is, I would say, definite, um, that it took a while for that servant to find Jesus. He was sent to probably a region. Here's where Jesus is. He's on a preaching engagement. So you need to go and find out where he's at. And he probably went from this place to that place and finally hooks up with Jesus. Jesus. And um, I think it's definitely true that even when the servants saw Jesus and told him that message that the one you love is sick, Jesus knew already at that time that he was dead, that he was already gone. So there was a delay. Our Lord is never late. <laughs> never. God's never late. He's often on a different timetable than what you have, but he's never late. And the reason that is, is because you and I dwell and care about the urgent. But God cares about the eternal. And sometimes that gives us a different perspective and a different timetable. Now, it's not a secret that sickness and death are the common heritage that we all have. Everybody here has been sick at some time. Maybe not sick unto death, but you've been sick. But you will someday experience death unless Christ intervenes before that happens. So Jesus says to them that he's asleep. Lazarus is asleep. And in the New Testament, there's 18 times that that word for sleep is, is used. And of those 18 times that it appears, 15 of those times, it's definitely talking about death. But it's always talking about the death of a faithful follower of Christ. So when a believer in Christ dies, it is a picture of sleep. That's a good illustration of what it's like because that will rise up again, will live again, will be awake again. Can't use that for an unsaved person necessarily. By the way, the other three times that sleep appears, two of them we think it's about death, but we just don't know for absolute sure of a believer. So anyhow, Jesus arrives on the fourth day and his weight of that was not what they were expecting. They thought he was gonna come, Lazarus was gonna be lingering, and he was gonna do whatever he does, and Lazarus was gonna be okay. But you know what the delay did? It made the ultimate miracle absolutely undeniable. <laughs> he had been dead for four days. Now I would challenge you sometime Go over to Gilman's when there's a corpse that's been there three or four days and, and raise them up. You can't do that. Only Jesus can. So they're now they're going to go back to this territory, and the disciples have some concerns. So in verse 7 it says, Then he said to the disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, 
a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, and he has no light. And after he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. They knew a lot about where, what was going on in Judea. The last time, about a year and a half ago when they were there, the leaders, the religious leaders, tried to catch Jesus and have him stoned to death. They tried to trip him up. They tried to actually attack him at times. So these disciples knew that that was going to happen and that it was inevitable that if they go back there, there's going to be trouble. Thomas is the one who spoke up. In his pessimism, he saw doom and gloom and disappointment. And he sounds like he's resigned to martyrdom. Oh, well, then let us go and die with Lazarus. And at least we could die for a great cause. Thomas had no thought of a victory over death. None. But for Jesus, this is going to be an opportunity for him to show his divine power. For Jesus, it's just as easy to raise someone from the dead as it is to heal someone who's sick. It really is. He has the power. It takes nothing to him. <clears throat> why was it? Why did Jesus wait as long as he did? We don't really know. Is there anything magical about the number four for four days? No, not necessarily. And I don't know if this was the case there. But in that time frame, in that time zone, um, there were some that used to believe that when someone died, their spirit lingered around the body for three days, and then it would be released. Sort of like, well, am I dead or not? I'm going to hang around there. Um, there were some people who believed that. If Jesus was thinking about that consciously, he waited four days. Uh, there was going to be no question this guy was dead. And Jesus said in verse 14, uh, guys, I'm telling you, Lazarus is dead. Uh, he couldn't do that in any other stronger way than to tell him that. So they finally returned to Bethany. And by the way, now four days later, the body's decaying. Um, there's no hope of this uh, getting any better. But then the sisters come and greet Martha first, Mary next. And look at verse 21. And Martha's, Lord, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Fascinating. Verse 32, Mary says identically the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They, um, they're expressing really strong faith. They believe that Jesus can heal him. But I don't know that they're looking at it as though, or you could bring him back to life. I don't see that there. And, you know, it's not sinful. It's never a sinful thing to tell God how you feel. One of my favorite 
illustration for that is in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk's a great prophet of God, but man, he starts off, he's really upset. It's like, God, the righteous are getting slaughtered here. All the wicked people are doing really good, they're prospering, and we're getting beat up, and we're suffering, and we're poor, and things are bad, God, it's not fair. That's what the book of Habakkuk's about. <laughs> Until you get to the end and God says, but I make everything right, and I make sure um, that I handle this in the very end. So Jesus makes a statement to these young ladies, particularly to Martha, in verse 25, and it's one you know. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? It's one of Jesus' I am statement. And Martha confesses, um, even though she's struggling and lost, she knows that that's true. I know that you are the Christ, and you are the Son of God who was to come into the world. But there's a resurrection coming here, and I don't know that she's all that aware of that. So Jesus is going to show care and compassion. Verse 33 says, when Jesus saw her weeping, this is uh, seeing Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man and have kept the man from kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said, take away the stone, and then goes into more. Here is a contrast between the way that even the religious world of their day experienced mourning and the way Jesus handled mourning. You probably know that in their day, uh, all the people who were close would come and they would sit and sometimes sit for hours and not say a word, but they'd cry with them. Then there would be um, townspeople, some have called them professionals because we think some cases they were actually reimbursed for doing this, but they would lie in the street and as you would walk back and forth from the gravesite, they would cry and wail and scream and and it almost seemed as though the bigger scene you made, the more you cared about that family. And, and so they were really good at this kind of thing. But Jesus didn't do that. He said he was deeply moved. It, it's sort of like there was this involuntary gasp of his. Oh, no, Lazarus. Oh, no. And just really hurt by what he's seeing, he felt their sorrow. And in verse 35, it says that he wept. And, and that meant basically the tears were dripping down from his cheeks. It wasn't like he was crying and wailing out loud, but those were sincere tears flowing from him. It's important to remember, if you are hurting, Jesus wants you to know that he weeps with you. He really does. And somehow, our eternal Father shares in our sorrow. He does care 
about what you are experiencing. So we're going to see his power now. Jesus is going to do something. Verse 39, um, it goes on to say, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. Got to love King James there. It says, he stinketh. I've used that many times when we were going through the diapering stage. I mean, it's just, I uh, love the phrase, he stinketh. There's a bad odor. That's right. There was a bad odor. Four days in. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Martha did not necessarily anticipate a restoration of her brother. She was getting comfort from all those around her, but the best that Judaism had to offer was mourning and commiseration. A little bit on the hopeless side. Write down the reference. I didn't put it in your bulletin. I don't know how I missed this, but 2 Timothy 1.10. 2 Timothy 1.10 where it says about Christ that he is the life and immortality to light through the gospel. Immortality, life, all comes through the gospel, and it's in Christ. You know, back in verse 25, when Jesus first met Martha and she came out, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That's a pretty big statement. None of you have ever said anything like that unless you, Something was being silly. Now it's time he's supposed to prove this. So he called for Lazarus. And preachers for centuries have been saying that if he didn't specify Lazarus because of who he is, all the other graves people would have come walking out of if he just said, come forth. But he did call for Lazarus. And they all could see the Lazarus body lying there. And they say that in some of the tombs in that time, it was not unusual to have as many as eight people um, entombed in the same one. And so there could have been a couple others, but they could all see, yeah, there's Lazarus. We just put him in there through four days ago. They saw that. Then all of a sudden, there was a movement. Then all of a sudden, he's sitting up, and now he's walking to the opening. Kent Hughes an author, a pastor, an author, uh, just call, talking about the garments that they would have wrapped him in, said that it was a white linen gown, poignantly called a traveling dress. I like the traveling dress idea because in their mind, he was traveling to the afterlife. But man, this one was traveling. This was coming toward them, and he's, he's coming at them. The process of decay reversed and revitalized Lazarus. The funeral became a festival. There was amazement going on. Now, here's a note for you and I to remember. When delay occurs, God has a better time or a better way. When death occurs, God has a better plan 
or a better purpose. We don't always see that. We don't always understand it. We don't always like it, but it's always true. So then we see the response of those who are around in verses 45 to 48. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here's this man performing many miraculous signs, and if we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That goes on to say more things there, but the responses, two different responses. Many of them believed. Many of them put their faith in Christ. Many of them were amazed at who he was, and surely you are the Christ, the Son of God. And John's saying, that's exactly what I'm trying to show everybody, that he is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, the Son of God. But the religiously elite did something different. They called a committee meeting, of course. The Sanhedrin, the ruling body religiously of, of Israel, because they cared more about their status and about their own power than they did the powerful life that could be offered to them. And you and I look at that and we say, how could they not believe this was a dead man? Four days he was dead. He got up and he walked out. How can they not believe? Well, Jesus earlier had told them that that was going to happen. Remember in Luke chapter 16, verse 31 particularly, but Luke 16 is when he told about a different Lazarus, not the same one, and a rich man, and that they died and, and all those things happened. And, and the rich man was down in the lower um, holding cells waiting for eternal punishment. And he remembered his brothers and he said, send somebody back. And, Mo, and Abraham's like, we can't do that. We don't do that here. And he said, well, they would believe if someone came back from the dead. And Abraham said, no, they won't. No, they won't. They wouldn't believe. They had the prophets. They have the scriptures. They have every advantage to know God. And if that doesn't do it for them, sending somebody back from the dead isn't going to help. We know that's true because we've had 2,000 years of validating that fact. Because Jesus came back from the dead. And yet, I think, aren't there still people who don't believe that? There's people who walk around on this earth ungenerated because they're, they're dead in their sins. They're lost in their trespasses. I wish I had remembered who I took this quote from because it's not me, somebody else. But it said, the chief cause of unbelief is not a lack of information, but a heart in rebellion against the authority of God and his word. The reason why people you know, maybe even people you love, I hope not, but people you know that will not acknowledge Christ as their Lord and Savior is not because they don't know enough or that there's not enough um, substantial truth to prove that the scriptures are real or prove that Christ died and rose again. That's all easily proven, easily proven. The problem is they have a heart of rebellion against God and against his word. And that needs to be broken. That needs to be cared for. 
The works of Jesus were too numerous, too real, and too wonderful to be ignored. It was too great. And that's still true today. Who he is and what he's done is too great to be ignored. So I came up with what I think are three takeaways from this. Number one is the resurrection. Isn't that great? Revelation 21 verse 4 is so true. Now this is about a thousand plus years from now where he says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Mary and Martha had tears that day. So did some of their loved ones and friends. There will be no more death. That's great. That is great news. There'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. God is going to renew everything, and it's going to be changed. It's going to be perfected, and many scholars think it's going to be exactly like it was in the Garden of Eden, where it's going to be beautiful without sin, without any of that stuff. God's going to do that. The resurrection is real and true, and that's a great thing. Lazarus helped prove that a little bit. But that's down the road a little bit for us. What about now? Well, there's the compassion of Christ. Just as deeply as he was moved for Lazarus, just as much as he had tears falling from his cheeks because of the compassion he had for those around who looked so helpless and hopeless, he's that compassionate about you and me and what we go through. He really does care. Then the third one that I wanted to show you is, you remember Romans chapter 8, verse 28, 29, where it says that for those who are conforming themselves to Christ, that God is big enough and great enough that he can take whatever comes into our lives and use it for good to help us conform to Christ. And then that, I think, is also, uh, there's an Old Testament version of that in Genesis chapter 15. If you don't know the life of Joseph, find a book and read it, uh, because it is amazing. But Joseph, after all his family put him through, after years of things that you will never experience, anything like what he went through. And then at the end, when he finally, out of love and grace and forgiveness, helps and bails out his brothers and his family who have so mistreated him and so ruined his, destroyed his life. He says to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's amazing. Whatever goes on to things that you and I experience every day, remember that there is another life to come. There's more ahead for us. This isn't all there is, and Christ is in control. And we have a wonderful future. And today, he's extremely compassionate about you and I and what we're experiencing. And even though the world might mean it for evil, and, it, and there's a lot of sin around us, but God can do good things if we just line ourselves up with Christ, obey him and follow him, and allow him to be Lord of our lives. Let's have prayer together. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for your goodness to us, the love that you show to us, the compassion you have for us, and the great power you have to uh, conquer life and death and do anything to help us become more like Christ our Savior. 
Lord, uh, we just want to open our hearts up to you. We want to allow you to seek us and, and search our hearts and bring to our mind what needs to be done in our lives so that we become more Christ-like. And we would give you the honor and the praise. As Jesus said there that um, the purpose of Lazarus' death, as we saw a couple weeks ago, the purpose of the man born blind, all of that is to bring glory to God. That's what we desire. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.